You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. A lot of crypto so far has not been about your own existing wealth and money. It's about creating something new, creating new technology and new value. But now we can move to this place where that infrastructure has been built and all of the money, the wealth, the traction that you've accumulated in your own life can be dealt with in this technological infrastructure. That's a really exciting moment and it makes it much more tractable for people without a background in the space to get involved. Today, we are joined by Andy Bromberg, president of CoinList. CoinList is the trusted platform for running compliant token sales. With CoinList, token projects can launch private sales with 10 investors or a public sale with 10,000 investors. CoinList infrastructure has supported over $400 million in investments for over 30 token sale projects since August 2017. Some of the projects that have run token sales on CoinList include Filecoin, Origin, Props, and Blockstack. Andy has been in the space for a long time as he founded the Stanford Bitcoin Club in 2013, back when he was an undergrad, and he has really insightful perspectives on the crypto ecosystem. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode, as Andy is one of the smartest thought leaders in the space. Andy, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Hey, everyone. My name is Andy Bromberg. I'm the co-founder and president of CoinList, uh, which is the platform where the best digital asset companies manage their token sales. And Andy, what were you doing prior to being a CEO of CoinList? Yeah, so at CoinList, uh, you know, we started about a year and a half ago. Before that, I was running a company called Sidewire, actually not in the crypto space, in the political media space, uh, which was really fun. And a lot of learnings from that that now play into this crypto environment where regulatory concerns are a real issue. And before that, uh, I was at Stanford studying math and computer science and started the Stanford Bitcoin group with a bunch of other folks, uh, which was led by Balaji Srinivasan, now the CTO of Coinbase. That was back in 2012, 2013. Uh, so pretty early days. It was really just Bitcoin at that point. And, uh, and we did a lot of research and development, advocacy work around crypto and around Bitcoin back then uh, and did that for a couple of years before starting Sidewire, the political media company. Yeah, the, the Stanford Bitcoin community that really what you spearheaded has been so strong. We've had a couple of guests, um, you know, come on the podcast, Axel from Vest and the Dov from Dharma. Um, so they've talked a lot about the, you know, that Stanford connection. But w- what was that like? What, what was it like to be um, very excited about Bitcoin early on and on, on the Stanford c- campus and community? It was pretty amazing because the, the Stanford community was really tight. There was a small number of people that were really interested in and again, really just Bitcoin at that point, not much else. The Towards the end of our time there, the the blockchain narrative started to creep in. But even back in 2012, 2013, it was really just about Bitcoin and occasionally some of these altcoins. And so the Stanford community was was really tight. There were uh, seven of us uh, students uh, that started the Stanford Bitcoin group, uh, including several that are still in the space. And then Balaji Srinivasan and, and Vijay Pandey, who were the two professors and then a bunch of other folks, but really it numbered in the couple dozen people that were interested in the space. And then more broadly, the crypto community was just really interesting at that time because it was, you know, low hundreds of people in the Bay Area. You got to know everyone in the space, and many of those people are still operating now. So it was a fun time to run around, go to the meetups, talk to people, build things, and uh, and have there not be a lot of infrastructure yet. And were you guys mining at the same time? Uh, we did a little bit of mining here and there, not enough, sadly, but we definitely experimented and thought that was important to learning about the technology. 
Yeah, so so Coinlist is you know one of the premier brands in the space. Talk a little bit more what the what the product is, what the platform is. Yeah, Coinlist uh, today offers four services, so quite a few things, and really it centers around two pillars. So one is capital formation and uh, sales and fundraising, and the other is building community. And we have two services in in each of those buckets. On the fundraising side, our marquee service, our full sale service, is you know a service where we put sales on our platform publicly. We host the sale, we handle the compliance, the transaction processing, the document signing, the token distribution, really all of the pieces you need to run a successful token sale from a logistical perspective. And then we help with the marketing too. And we've done that for very few issuers. In fact, only five so far in the last year and a half, Filecoin, Blockstack, Props Origin, and Trust Token. And we try and make sure that the people we're working with are offering really compelling products and are things that we want to be associated with publicly. And we take all of the headache of running their sale out of their hands. And then beyond that, our second service in that bucket is really basically a white-labeled version of that. It's called Token Sale Manager. And it, again, abstracts away all the complexity of running a token sale. We don't think that the logistics of a token sale should be a core competency for token issuers. They should be focused on building community, be focused on building product and technology, and uh, and not focused on dealing with the minutia of running a sale. So our Token Sale Manager product, again, abstracts that away. We've done that for dozens and dozens of issuers, for private sales, public sales, and handling the infrastructure for them. And then on the community side, we have two products. One is our Airdrops product. The other is Coinless Build, our hackathon product. Uh, the Airdrops product is all about conducting compliant airdrops, giving away tokens to users to help bootstrap networks. We can talk more about that. The first one we did there was Definity and their $35 million airdrop. To, yeah, that got a lot of good press. Yeah, it was great. Uh, phenomenal team and, uh, and really impressive product and incredible community. You know, Tens of thousands of people signing up and participating in this airdrop was really exciting to see. And going through KYC and going through the whole process. And then our second product, which we just launched, is Coinless Build, which is a product to help projects host online hackathons. One thing we kept hearing from token issuers was we need help building a developer community. Sure. We said, well, we've got a big network. We've got technical expertise. Let's build a product for this. And so we ran ran our first uh, hackathon with 0x. It actually just ended. We're in the judging period right now. And what's happening is... Developers from all around the world are participating, building projects on top of 0x in this case. And then there's prizes being awarded to the, the best projects out there. It was pretty incredible. We got more than 600 people signed up as developers, dozens and dozens of projects submitted. And you can check it out. Some incredibly high-quality projects that people have built in the space of just a month online uh, that are now going to be awarded meaningful prizes for building those things. In the second half of 2017 and 2018, we saw so many different types of token launches. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of regulatory headaches for a lot of these projects. So if I'm launching a new project which has a token and I'm thinking about how to get that token into my user's hands, um, what's my decision process like and what would make me want to work with Coinlist? There's a bunch of different considerations there. And I think the first piece that you have to consider is who are you trying to reach mm-hmm. And what behavior are you trying to incentivize? And that's something that a lot of people kind of skipped over in the past year and a half. You've got to think about your audience and what your goals are first. So for some projects, it's really important that investors, that users have skin in the game, that they put their own money in in order for the incentives of the project to work. In that case, a sale is a really good idea. And that might be a big public sale. It might be a smaller private sale. But you have to think about what you're aiming for and who you want to be a stakeholder on your network. In other cases, you just want a broader base of people to get your token and be able to see it and use it and understand it. And in that case, maybe an airdrop is a really good fit. And in other cases, you want a really deep type of engagement, maybe from developers, where you're asking people to build something on top of the platform. And you don't necessarily need thousands of them. 
But even dozens building something meaningful on top would be really important for you. And in that case, a hackathon might be a great idea. Across all of that, we see our role as being a place where we are a trusted platform. We've got a large community that's very engaged and has participated before. And we can provide that infrastructure to make it really easy to accomplish those goals, whatever they may be. And then do you, do you work with both utility tokens and security token offerings? We work with all sorts of projects. Sure. All of the offerings we have facilitated on our platform to date have been offerings of securities. But that's not to say that the tokens themselves are intended to be security. So for example, Filecoin right. is intended to be a non-security, but ran their offering as a securities offering. Uh, we have yet to run an offering on the platform that, that was not a securities offering. We're open to the idea, but haven't seen any yet that we thought passed that test. Sure. And of any of the five projects that have launched on CoinList, have, any, had, have they run into any kind of regulatory concerns or issues? I think they're all marching along steadily. There's Great. there's a lot of open questions in the space, and, and they're working through solving them, but no major issues encountered so far. Yep. And and talk a little bit about how you select the projects. I mean, obviously, the, the, the five you listed are some of the highest quality projects in the space. There's, you know, a great kind of Halo brand being built around CoinList. And I know, you know, I get emails from, from CoinList about new offerings, and I take them very seriously given the quality of projects you've had. So w- what's that selection process like for you guys? Yeah, taking a step back, I think the right way to model this is to think about how we think investors should do diligence on these offerings, right? If I were an investor in the space, what would I be looking at? And the way I'd think about that is there's a set of criteria that you should look at early stage deals through, no matter whether they're tokens or equity investments in the crypto space, outside the crypto space, doesn't matter. And those criteria are product, market, team, and deal terms. Mm -hmm. No matter what you're looking at, you should be evaluating those things. Is the product compelling? Is the market big? Is the team strong? Do the deal terms make sense? And those are the things that investors should look at in the crypto space too with token offerings. But beyond that, I think there's two key pieces that are not uh, necessary when you're looking at equity deals, say in the startup space. And those are first, legal structure. Nobody innovates on Series A term sheets in a meaningful way. Right. In the token space, there's a lot of innovation happening at the legal structure level. And you've got to get comfortable with how that's happening or trust someone that is an expert in that yeah. to understand the uh, the diligence there. And then the last piece, obviously, is the token economic model. And there's a lot to unpack there. I think it's a developing field. We're very early as a space in understanding how these tokens will accrue value in the long term. But you've got to make sure really two things. First, that the token has the potential to accrue value if the platform is successful. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of deals where the network seems compelling. Again, product, market, team, all really strong. But it just doesn't seem like the token will accrue value in the long term, even if the network is successful. Right. So that's a key piece. And then the second piece of the token economic model, very related, obviously, is making sure the incentive system is aligned well. Mm-hmm. And that all of the actors that you need to do things on the token network are incentivized to do the right thing and that there are appropriate disincentives for attackers that want to come in and hurt the network. Right. We'd say investors should probably think about all the basic criteria for any early stage investment, but add on legal structure and token economics. Sure. No, really well said. So obviously, John Pfeffer came out with his paper, um, you know, talking about an institutional investor's view on the market and some of these projects. And how does CoinList think about that? You were talking a little bit about that. You know, do you have do you need to have a low velocity for tokens to accrue value, um, or some of these work token models where you're actually staking and, and locking up these tokens? You know, the, do you anticipate that there's a potential to accrue value in, in some of those projects as well? I'm a broken record on this. We're very early in the space, and yeah. so I think time will tell exactly what models work. But I am far from an absolutist on any specific model right now. Sure. And, you know, again, an overwrought analogy here, but tokens and blockchain technology are a lot like the internet in that many different things can be built on top of them. They are not all the same. We're even seeing that today. And that will result in different models. In the same way that you could say 
you know, e-commerce will work on the internet. Sure. But so will social networks and so will news sites and so will many other types of businesses. And I think low velocity Pfeffer-esque tokens with that sort of model certainly will be successful. And again, not all of them in the same way that not every e-commerce site is successful on the internet, but we will also see other models emerge that will be successful and be able to drive value in the long term. Yeah, really well said. So Andy, you've you've had a front row seat for the highs and lows of crypto, you know, really over the last seven, eight years, but particularly over the last year and a half. Um, so what was it like, you know, in 2017 and early 2018 at CoinList? And what is it like in the back half of 2018 and early 2019 at CoinList? I'm glad you called out the the long view there because this market is so cyclical. We've seen these sure. same things happen over and over again. There was a massive bubble in 2013. Looks yep. tiny yeah. by today's <laughs> standards, but massive bubble in 2013 and a bust. And then 2014, 2015, the price, especially Bitcoin, stayed very low. Sure. And then we saw a big run up in 2016 again. It feels very similar to me right now. And the analogy that I've been drawing is that 2019 today feels a lot like 2015. So what happened in, it was 2013 boom and bust, 2014, it felt like everyone was moping around, upset, people were leaving the space, it didn't feel good. And then 2015, the price stayed low, it actually went down for most of the year, but people were excited, things were getting built, it felt like there was momentum around the space, and then that led to a big run up in 2016. And it feels like 2019 is a lot more like 2015 than it is like 2014. Sure. It feels positive, it feels like there's momentum, there's energy, all of that, even if the prices don't materially increase, it feels like a positive year for crypto that could lead to something really promising in the future. And I think the end of 2018 felt a lot like 2014. Again, people were moping around, upset. People were leaving the space. Projects were shutting down. It felt really negative. But for some reason in this cycle, it feels like that negative period was a lot shorter than it was after the 2013 bubble burst. Mm -hmm. And now we're in this time of positivity and building. Who knows how long that it'll take before... You know, there's more success in the space as a function of prices, but it feels like we're going to get there. It's awesome to hear how responsive you and the CoinList team has been to requests from a lot of the projects you're working with. Like the this hack, new hackathon product sounds really compelling and really interesting. And every project you talk to is thinking about how they can run a hackathon. So that's a really smart idea. Is the next extension ecosystem funds? I mean, like I feel a lot of these projects have ecosystem funds, you know, a way to distribute ecosystem funds or invest them on behalf of the teams you're working with. Is that something you're getting requests for? There's a lot of things in the hopper, lots of things we're getting requests for. The next step for us is going to be a secondary trading venue. Mm -hmm. It feels like a natural extension. We handle the primary sales. What should happen when sure. those tokens get distributed? Well, we should enable that secondary liquidity then. It's a very natural thing. But we hear tons of requests for ecosystem funds. We hear requests yeah. for treasury management. We hear requests for more targeted types of airdrops, which is something we're working on. There's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle. Our focus, like you were saying, is on helping these issuers be successful. Yeah. And early on in our history, that meant fundraising. Now we're moving to a place where it means building community, whether that's broad or targeted. Sure. And the next step will be liquidity from there. And then we'll keep expanding out to the adjacencies all around that. What percent of your capital or your time is spent on uh, kind of regulatory, you know, setting up a good regulatory framework and, and, and legal fees? And you know, how much are you dedicating to, to getting that right? A lot of our time, a lot of our money, uh, a lot of our thought. And our view here is, is pretty simple. We think crypto is going to be around for a very long time, yes, perhaps even forever. And we want our business to be around for a long time too. We are willing to spend the time and effort and money and sometimes take a conservative, slower approach to things because we think that that is the path to a sustainable long-term business. Sure. We could have, in the early days in late 2017, 
gone for a total cash grab, you know, throw caution to the winds and, and try and do whatever we could to make money. And we sat back and said, that's interesting. We're going to build a good business here. We're going to focus on working with only the best issuers, focus on making sure we're being compliant and focus on the regulatory environment, and the legal environment and build it out for the future for the next 5, 10, 15 yeah. years. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about that, making sure we're, we're working hard on that. You know, we're a team of around 25 people, four of which are lawyers on staff right. working on these things, plus amazing outside counsel. Uh, so a lot of work and thought goes into that. So we've had uh, Ken and Ken on from Republic. You know, we talked to the Angelus team at length. Um, what are your thoughts on just the kind of the landscape of different options and kind of associated projects uh, with you guys? We spun out of Angelist at the end of 2017. Republic is also an Angelist spin out, obviously. Republic is more focused on Reg CF, broad offerings to a large community of largely unaccredited investors. Angelist is very focused, obviously, on equity offerings, uh, as well as their recruiting function. And then we're focused on uh, these Reg D accredited token sales, at least on the fundraising side. And that's roughly how we divide it up. There's always crossover. These lines get blurry, but you know you got to make sure that that you're working together with people and communicating. And I think even more broadly than that family of companies, people in this space, at least the smart ones, recognize that the pie is growing way faster than right. any one company can take it. And so even if there's overlap here and there, there's value in collaboration. Because for any company that's operating the crypto space right now, this is a belief that we hold very strongly. For any company that's operating the crypto space, their biggest path for growth is the space growing 10 or 100x. Sure, we can close more deals, we can ship more product, we can do more things, we can hire a bigger team, but that is incremental compared to how fast the space can grow. Right. And in this case, the rising tide could rise so fast sure. that it you know lifts the ships way more than they can lift themselves. So, you know, our view is work with everyone in the space, try and understand how we can add value, do the best we can, make sure we're being compliant, working with the best issuers, the best investors. And, uh, and our share of the pie will grow. And how do you, you know, there, there's been some noise in the market about T0 and some of these other security platforms launching, different ATSs launching. How do you think about um, the competition and how you can different, further differentiate yourself? For us, I think a few lenses on that. One, a very tactical one, is just that we're in a position where when there's a primary offering, and we work with many really high quality ones, obviously, we help with the token distribution. And if we can help distribute those tokens to users and give them instant liquidity on a secondary platform that we control, that's a massive strategic advantage for us. So we think a lot about that. But even more broadly, I think you have to focus on the right assets. My view is that we are too early today for the asset-backed token wave to really happen. I think it will happen. I think it feels like it's inevitable. But focusing on that in 2019, to me, does not feel like the right approach. Sure. And, uh, and so we're f- way more focused on the types of assets that we've been helping with their token sales for the last year and a half, and then building out from there. Um, as CEO, what are some of the KPIs you think about when you wake up? I mean, you know, beyond revenue, I mean, are you thinking about issuance volume? Are you thinking about, you know, number of inbound projects you're getting top of the funnel stuff? Like, ha- what do you wake up thinking about and go to bed thinking about? Yeah, there's a lot of things, especially now with four product sure. lines. Also, minor correction, I'm president of Coinlist, not, not oh, CEO. Sorry, sorry. But yep. the things we think about a lot for us, it's all about quality and this flight to quality. Again, the long-term business here is in helping the best issuers and the best investors. And that's, again, both sides of that marketplace. So making sure we're talking to all of the best issuers. I would rather talk to 10 out of 10 of the best issuers in the space than talk to 1,000 people and miss five of those 10 that are really good. Uh, and so we're always thinking about how can we be more helpful to those top issuers and investors. On the sales side, obviously, we're focused on things like how many participants, how big these sales get, what the success rate looks like on the hackathon side, how many projects get built, 
Interesting metric on the hackathon one as this moves forward will be how many of the projects continue their development after the yes. hackathon. Yep. That's a really key metric for us. On the airdrop side, it'll be things like how are these tokens used after the airdrop happens? But all of this for us goes back to quality. And even those last couple of things I mentioned are, are proxies for quality. Mm-hmm. High quality hackathon projects will continue to be built. High quality airdrop recipients will use the tokens in an interesting and meaningful way. And so we're always looking at quality over quantity in this space because again, the quantity and size of the space will grow so much. As long as we're maintaining that kind of top quality bar, we'll be in a very good position going forward. So CoinList is one of the most well-funded projects in the space. Can you talk a little bit about your kind of past fundraising and any potential future plans? Yeah, so we we raised a great Series A uh, from Accomplice and Protocol Labs. So Protocol Labs was our other corporate parent yep. that we spun out from. And Accomplice worked closely with Angelist and has been an amazing partner. And then seven of the top crypto funds in the space. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're really fortunate to work with them. Our goal there was, this was uh, kind of early 2018, and we said, we want to make sure we're building a coalition of the strongest partners we can have in the space. And so you know, the, the on the crypto fund side, uh, we've got Polychain, DCG, Blockchain Capital, FBG, Libertas Capital, Coin Fund, and Electric Capital. And, uh, and they've been amazing partners, refer us tons of projects, are helpful with our strategic thinking. And that's been our focus so far. As we think about the future, first of all, our goal is to build a sustainable business. Yeah. So we don't want to need to rely on venture capital. We certainly think that it can be incredibly effective as an accelerant, as rocket fuel, if we want to invest really heavily in something ahead of where we're making money. But we also want to be in a position where we do not ever have to raise that money. And so, of course, we'll consider future fundraising rounds as they as they come up. But for now, we're focused on driving revenue and scaling the business uh, in a sustainable way more than we are in trying to accumulate as big of a war chest as we can from venture capital yeah. investors. No, I, I, as we were talking about off air before, I think the Accomplice team is fantastic. Jeff's fantastic. So. Um, you've assembled a great group of, of partners and investors. So what what is the, um, tell us about the, the big vision for CoinList, you know, fast forward 15 years. Yeah. So CoinList, we think we can be the future of financial services for this digital asset economy. And what's sure. so interesting about that to us is that crypto changes what financial services mean. One of the most interesting attributes of crypto in general is that for the first time, investor and user are synonymous. Mm-hmm. Never before has that been true, that just because I use Facebook, I'm an investor in Facebook, or just because I'm an investor in Facebook, I use Facebook. Yeah. That is now true in crypto. And so when we talk about financial services, that can include things like participation, because driving participation drives investor activity on networks too, as a function yeah. of the similarity of those two things. And so our view is that we can serve all of those functions. And that means primary liquidity, that means secondary liquidity, that means participation. Across the board, we want to make this industry more efficient and scalable. Mm-hmm. And we think we can do that through providing these sorts of services that take the burden off of token issuers and off of token investors from all the things they don't want to do and make them be able to focus just on the things they do want to yep. do. Yep. Awesome. What, what is the biggest risk to CoinList not working? You know, I think the biggest risk, and I'm sure this is a total cliche, but is the space, yep. right? There is an existential risk about the space. It is not a well-established space, right? We're not going in and starting a construction company where you know that there's always going to be construction and your risk is yourself not executing. We're going to a space where it is wildly uncertain. The entire space can seesaw up and down 50% in the matter of a month. Mm-hmm. And we need to be really careful about that, both on a short-term level and making sure, again, we're building the business sustainably, but also on a long-term level and making sure we're building for the right industry. We don't know, no one knows, how this industry is going to evolve definitively. And we need to skate to where the pucks go and make sure we're offering the right services to support that in the future. Again, you know, had we built our business around 
the assumption that there would be hundreds or thousands of token sales every single month, we would be in a really bad position right now. And so we made one good bet there and said, flight to quality, uh, but we got to keep making those bets in the right way for this business to survive. What do you make out of the trend in the traditional IPO market where you have um, Spotify and now Slack, you know, going a more unconventional IPO route and doing these direct listings and taking the investment banks out of that process or, or, or you know, certainly reducing their fees to go public and, and, and list? What, what are you drawing from that? In that case, it's a little bit interesting, a little bit unique in that they don't necessarily need the capital that comes right. with an IPO. They're not really doing it for capital raising purposes. So in one sense, I think for a lot of token projects, that's not the case. They're doing token sales because they need private or public because they need to raise capital. And so they need to involve something that looks like either an IPO or a private placement, but engaging in some way to raise capital. That said, something that's really interesting is the parallels between these direct listings and a couple projects that have launched without meaningful fundraises. So you look at something like a Grin Mm -hmm. or even like Bitcoin. In some sense, those are the most analogous things to a direct listing where they're just saying, we exist now. Sure. <laughs> There's no necessarily issuer selling anything to anyone. It just exists. And uh, it's a little bit different in that there are not uh, holders already that are selling into the market. Things are being created and mined from the ground up. But there is an analogy there that's interesting. And more broadly, I think that fits into this trend of democratization of participation in investment opportunities. Yeah. And I think that we will see more of these anonymous or pseudonymous founders or just direct issuances of tokens into the world as a different model than the token sale model. Sure, sure. Really interesting. What, what are some of the near-term priorities for CoinList? Near-term priorities for us are helping issuers in this down market yeah. make sure that they're surviving. And that's part of where our focus on this community building comes from now, where a lot of these issuers have the money they need, but they now need to hit milestones and they don't have the benefit of a crazy bull market and hype cycle to help them get there. They need to do it in a you know, more sustainable and genuine way. And so they need help building community, reaching out to people, engaging people deeply. And that's a, a big part of our, our goals this year. And I keep coming back to this, but running the business sustainably. Sure. I think that's a real differentiator in the market. And a great example of this is Coinbase. Mm-hmm. So Coinbase was around during the, when the bubble burst in 2013. Right. And in 2014 and 2015, they were able to, by virtue of both a meaningful business, but also uh, venture capital they'd raised, yep. invest really meaningfully in their business so that when the next cycle came, they were prepared to really take the lead. Right. And obviously, they've capitalized on that in an amazing way. Sure. And we see ourselves in a very similar position where we have the ability to outlast however long there might be a drought, but we need to be investing in our business to make sure that when the next wave happens, we're in a position to capture that and ride it. And so that's a big priority for us. What services can we offer to make sure that we're in a position when the next wave comes? And I would imagine that CoinList is building quite a moat around itself, given how hard it would be from a regulatory standpoint, the, the legal fees involved for someone else to spin up one of these platforms. You know, it takes a couple of years to get your, your licenses, you know, and also just the experience of working with these companies, plus all the new product lines you're introducing. I would, I, you know, I would imagine you're you know, you're, you're, you're well protected from competition over the next couple of years. That's our goal. Of course, we're always paranoid yeah. and want to make sure we're looking over our shoulders. I do think two assets that we have candidly that are really powerful are our brand and our network. Mm-hmm. The brand is something we protect at all costs. Again, that goes to working with the best issuers. It goes to spending a lot of money on ensuring compliance. We need to make sure that we are seen as what we are, which is the top player in the space doing these things sure. and the trusted party here. So that's absolutely key. And that is a huge mode. It is You can't just spin that up out of nowhere, no matter what. And we need to maintain that position. And then our network. Every issuance we conduct, every airdrop we conduct, every hackathon we conduct 
adds to the people in our network that will then participate in those same things in the future. And that's a big competitive advantage. Because again, someone starting from zero there does not have what we have in terms of investors in the platform, developers in the platform, and more broadly, crypto interested people on the platform. Now to invest in some of the projects you're listing, do you need, do you need to be an accredited investor? How, how, do, how does that work? Yeah, so again, we uh, handle all these offerings as securities offerings, at least to date. And so they need to be properly registered or exempted in whatever jurisdictions they're selling to. Without getting too in the weeds here, the most common way that issuers have done that is with a Reg D offering in the United States, an exemption that relies on the investors being accredited investors. Right. So that's the most common thing we've seen. We also have, for example, a Reg S product, which is a different exemption in the United States that allows issuers to sell securities to people outside of the United States as long as those investors meet the requirements of their own jurisdictions. Sure. So we've gone through, and again, speaking to the legal costs, through dozens and dozens of other countries and analyzed their securities laws and said, hey, if someone, if an issuer is selling into this jurisdiction, what does the investor need to prove? And in a lot of cases, it's something similar to accreditation, but usually a lower bar, sometimes easy, easier to actually do. And so we've built that product too for issuers that want to reach international investors and not hold them to the exact same standard as the very high U.S. standards that exist. There's a number of other ways that issuers can sell things. We're seeing more and more talk about Reg A plus offerings, which can be sold to accredited or non-accredited investors that require significant disclosures and work and effectively sign off from the SEC in many cases. And so there's a lot of discussion there. We can imagine working with some of those issuers this year. But at the end of the day, for any of these offerings that are securities offerings, you've got to find a way to either register or exempt the offering and make sure that you're offering it in a compliant way. How can our listeners follow the progress of CoinList, participate in some of the uh, security listings and offerings on your platform? Yes, yeah, so coinlist.co.co. Check it out. If you sign up, you'll get our newsletter, which comes out every few weeks and has information not just about what's happening on CoinList, but more broadly what's happening in the market and what we're seeing, updates from projects and helping people understand the ecosystem a little bit better. I think Token Talk's a great example. There's, there's just a few places where people can go for reliable information about the space from trusted parties. And we're trying to be that as well as uh, offering these services on our platform. So let's talk a couple of minutes just about, um, you know, what you're seeing in the crypto ecosystem. We talked a lot about your perspective, having been in the space for so long. Do you think we're in, in, in for a prolonged crypto winter here? Do you think we have another year, two years? Yeah, I think it'll be a little while. Sure. I think that we probably have at least a year of prices being at about the level they're at right now. As with crypto, about the level they're at right now can mean a pretty wide range. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'd be surprised if things swung more than 2x in either direction. So down 50% or up 100%. That seems unlikely to me in the next year or so. And uh, and so I think we'll be in this position for a while. Again, it feels like a pretty positive winter. People are building and excited and sure. uh, have momentum. But I don't think we're going to see a meaningful run in either direction in the next year. Do you see a lot of talented people flowing into the crypto ecosystem right now? I do. I think it's slowed a little bit in the past six months, but I wouldn't be surprised if it picks back up this year. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends that are coming and saying, this stuff seems real now all sure. of a sudden. I think a lot of that helped by some better narrative building around crypto. For a long time, it felt like crypto was so driven by purely philosophical perspectives, Mm -hmm. which is great and got a lot of people into the space and encouraged a lot of meaningful development. But we're now seeing some practical perspectives too as the narratives. I think DeFi, something we were talking about before, is a big piece of that. The DeFi movement, the decentralized finance movement, has done a great job of just building narrative. Even aside from the products they're building and the infrastructure, there's a great narrative around that. And that's getting a lot of people outside of crypto really excited about the space. So again, yeah, I'd I'd imagine a net inflow of smart, talented people into crypto in 2019. 
Yeah, totally agree. It's really interesting if you think about it. I mean, how many applications touch your bank account, touch your wealth? I mean, everything goes through Plaid. So, you know, there, there, there's, but if you, you know, if you have this open um, decentralized financial stack and you have smart developers building around your wealth, building around um, your savings and, and giving you different applications and choices for that, it's going to be pretty awesome to see what people come up with and build and have as they have more access, right? I totally agree. That's a great way to put it, that a lot of crypto so far has not been about your own existing yeah. wealth and money. It's about creating something new, creating new technology and new value. But now we can move to this place where that infrastructure has been built and all of the money, the wealth, the traction that you've accumulated in your own life can be dealt with in this technological infrastructure. That's a really exciting moment and it makes it much more tractable for people without a background in the space to get involved. Where do you think um, some of the biggest companies will be built in crypto? What what areas? Uh, obviously, you know, CoinList and is going to be a huge part of this infrastructure. But you know, what are some area, other areas you're watching for big companies or big projects to come out of? Uh, yeah, at the risk of repeating a trope, I do think picks and shovels sure. in an early industry is always a place to build uh, meaningful businesses. I think certainly on the investment side, there'll be some really meaningful funds. The most interesting place to talk about, though, is on the actual project side, on the people actually building with blockchain technology this infrastructure. I think unsurprisingly, there will be a couple big layer one chains and platforms that have a lot of success early on. And that'll be a, a big place to start. One big question I think for people in the space is on the DAP layer, on the application layer, how do those accrue value and what succeeds there? It feels intuitively like there is something there. And we've seen a bunch of really interesting products launch and interesting pieces start to come together. I don't think anyone has nailed that business model yet, and that's a prerequisite for building a massive business. But I am excited about that layer too. It just is going to take a little bit of time to sort out the models and make sure that they are actually sustainable. Uh, what are some projects you're personally most excited about? Yeah, again, I'm really excited about the whole DeFi yeah. trend. I should say, first of all, I'm very excited about Bitcoin. Sure. And I remain very excited about Bitcoin. I'm with you there. And so that's something that whenever I think long-term, my first thought always goes to Bitcoin. Yep. But in terms of what I'm, what's getting me excited right now, it's about things that are advancing the space today. There are a lot of ideals that it feels like we're going to reach in five, 10 years where a lot of these different things start to succeed. But what we need is momentum today. What we need is traction today and what we need is users today. And so what gets me excited in 2019 is the things that are starting to get there. And again, to the conversation we just had, a lot of the DeFi stuff is really interesting. You mentioned Dov, like Dharma Loan, Dharma Lever is an amazing product that they Absolutely. just have started pushing more strongly, 0x, all of these different things are really interesting and are contributing to this whole ecosystem that's starting to come together. Yeah. And when when those pieces start to click together, when you you know are able to use Maker to get some DAI and put that DAI on Compound and use, these pieces become a really interesting piece of infrastructure and are getting people very excited about the possible use cases. And so that's where I'm most excited today, but in the interest of a lot of other things in addition to those succeeding in the long term. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of in a similar seat in some ways because you're choosing which projects you work with. So there's, you have a, a selection component to your job. But the space is so interesting as an investor. It's so intellectually stimulating. Where will value be created? Where will value be captured? What's most important, the layer one or some of the abstraction layers, right? I mean, obviously, it's so interesting, to be, as you talked about, you know, moving, creating die and moving into compound. But will all that be abstracted away? And will there be a layer that does that for you automatically and simplistically? And that that's what captures the value. So... Uh, it's such a stimulating space. I'm sure you feel the same way of, of just trying to follow and keep up with it and build your own opinions around it. But I guess the last question for you, Andy, and this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, you know, fast forward into 2025 or you know, six, seven years from now, what is different about the global financial system than today? I think the role of intermediary, intermediaries will be called into question. And I am not someone that is saying that 
all financial intermediaries are going to disappear <laughs> and we're just going to all interact directly peer to peer no matter what. Intermediaries do serve a role. But what it feels like crypto is causing is, for the first time, a questioning of that. A real questioning of, do we need this person in the middle here? One place I'm seeing that a lot with this smart securities or securities token trend is transfer agents. And you're saying, do we need these, right? And in some cases we may, in some cases we might not. But there are a lot of intermediaries in finance where their role has just felt so entrenched and so inevitable for such a long time that what this movement is causing is a questioning of them. And just to repeat myself, I do not think that the answer to that question will always be, no, they should disappear. But sometimes it might be. And that's a big shift from where it is today, where you default to yes on intermediaries. And so defaulting to no is is what I think is really interesting. And then even more broadly than that, I think that default to no is what crypto does in general. It defaults to, I do not need permission to do this. And in some cases you might, in some cases you might decide that you should, but the traditional financial world always defaults to, yes, I need permission. Yes, I need intermediaries. Yes, I need to ask someone about doing this. I can't do it by myself. And for the first time, we're being able to say, no, I don't need those people. I can do this by myself in certain cases. And that's what's really exciting to me about how crypto is going to impact the financial ecosystem. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's our big investment thesis around disrupting intermediaries, rent-seeking intermediaries. And I think there's some very low-hanging fruit. I mean, I think a lot of wills and kind of legal contracts will be done with smart contracts, you know, escrow agents, you know, um, title insurance. I mean, a lot of that will move to blockchains. And then then it'll be more kind of sophisticated um, social constructs, which are, you know, which have intermediaries removed. And I I think what's a really important observation about crypto is it'll be deflationary in some ways, right? Because you're removing rent-seekers, you're removing intermediaries, you're taking a lot of the unnecessary costs out, it'll kind of reduce the total pie for some of these projects. It'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. But um, really enjoyed this conversation. You know, you're one of the most articulate people in the space, and uh, I'm a big fan of what you're doing at CoinList. And I think it'll be um, just a cornerstone and, and foundational company. Uh, you know, moving forward. So, congrats on all the success so far. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you. The key takeaways from today's episode are one. CoinList is the trusted platform for running compliant token sales. Two, token projects faced an incredible amount of regulatory uncertainty and compliance when launching a token sale and are strongly advised to work with a platform like CoinList to launch compliantly. And three, CoinList is successfully launching new community building projects, including the recent platform to manage developer hackathons. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.